Chad Ford NBA Big Board. Yeah, yeah, the funny voice is back again. See, we decided to do this as a two-part series. Last one was a review 30 games in of where the draft was, where maybe we'd made mistakes or guys are better than we thought. Uh, it's been a really interesting rookie year for me as someone in the league to watch it, and I'm David Locke, if you didn't know that already. Chad Ford is right here, though. Fear not. You're 25 seconds into the show. He's right here. Hi, Chad. How's it? There. Usually, Chad says... Mahalo or Aloha, but I, I lured him into a good old stateside hello. I, I did that right there. I, I apologize. Aloha, Chad. Aloha. Uh, so I thought today Chad would um, help me out and maybe help all of you out. So here's the truth. I don't watch any college basketball. I don't have time. I'm in the NBA. I start watching college prospects when it's time that they have draft status. But we're into this moment in time here where actually you kind of want to watch college basketball. Conference tournaments, if in fact they all go off, and this unique NCAA tournament this year out of Indiana. And it actually looks like, depending what happens with Oklahoma State's and what they want to have, you know, their little uh, appeal and some things like that, that we actually might have an NCAA tournament with some players in it that we're going to look at in the draft. Is that actually possible that we might have NBA players in the NCAA tournament this year? Chad? Yeah, we, we're, we're going to have some ABA players in the NCAA tournament if we have an NCAA tournament. And of course, that's one of the things that everybody's wondering right now is, you know, whether we're going to be able to keep this momentum going. Uh, you've seen a lot of college basketball teams have to start and stop again. Uh, have COVID. Uh, Baylor's had to stop and start. Michigan's had to stop and start. And so when it gets to the tournament, it's going to be really interesting to see how that happens. And so that, that just means that NBA teams have been really, really trying hard to to scout as much as they can right now, even though most of it's not in person. Uh, most of it is having to happen because of NBA pro, uh, COVID protocols as well, uh, that this has just been a little bit of a different animal. All right. The early word is this is a great draft. That, I, I lost, you know, you get burned a few times, right? Like, you know, the girl tells you, I promise I'll be there and she doesn't show up. That the Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Dante Exum, Aaron Gordon, Joel MB draft has scarred me forever, Chad. Because that was the like you tanked for that draft, and you all of them were going to be stars. And Marcus Smart's like the best player of that draft right now. I don't know if that's totally true. Joel Embiid is probably the best player of that draft. But my point is, the first top guys, some of them just actually aren't good. And this was the draft in which we all sat around and said, you've got to tank for it. You've got to be there for it. 2014, it's going to be amazing. And that has forever scarred me on the idea of a loaded draft that you've got to tank for when Nick Stauskas becomes the eighth pick and Noah Vonley becomes the ninth pick and Alfred Payton becomes the tenth pick of a draft that I had to tank for. Do we really buy that this draft is that special? Well, right now, and, and we're talking about right now, if you talk to NBA teams, if you talk to NBA scouts, they have five players ranked as tier one prospects. And when I say tier one prospects, I'm talking about guys that could be franchise players on a team, not just all-stars. A, a tier two would be an all-star caliber player that they could make an all-star team at least once in their career. We're talking about a franchise changing player and there's five. I've been doing draft tiers now since 2008. So I've been doing it for a while. 
including that 2014 uh, draft. We didn't have five players in tier one in that draft. And, and, and this year, that, that's a remarkable number. Now, will they all end up being franchise players? There's every year I've had guys in tier one that turn out to not be that, but that's the potential. So that's where all the excitement is right now, David, around this draft is these, these top five guys, all of whom have a case for the number one pick, which makes the draft more exciting because there's a real debate um, out there about who should be number one. And and there's five of those guys right now. Last year, just to put it into, into context, uh, when I did my tiers column, and, and I, I do that by talking to NBA teams and scouts that I trust and ask them how they rank players. And if 50% of them rank them in a tier, that's the tier they go in, no one made tier one, not LaMelo Ball, not Anthony Edwards, not James Wiseman. They were all tier two prospects, five this year. Uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And we might have missed because I think LaMelo is a tier one, right? He's playing like a tier one, and he got tier one votes. I mean, there were people that I talked to last year that had LaMelo as a tier one. He just didn't get 50% of the votes. And interestingly, I just went back and looked at this column. LaMelo also had some tier three and a tier four vote. Uh, so he was a really polarizing prospect. And I think I think you understood why, given the background and what have you. And one of the, the interesting things about this group is that there really isn't any polarization. The only real fight is over who's better. Uh, there, there's not a lot of question marks about any of these guys on on why they have scary floors, which I think teams some teams saw with Lamelo that there's a scary floor there, and and why they all have huge upside. What's what the other thing that's interesting, David, is that after those five guys, it is blown wide open. It, there really is no consensus after that. Uh, there's a lot of guys with super high. Um, ceilings, but super low floors, and some guys with some pretty low ceilings, but but pretty low, but but pretty high floors, and nothing really in between. And and maybe the strength, and we we talked about this last week. The strength of last year's draft was its depth, and the fact that you were finding really quality players in the twenties in last year's draft. This draft is going to be top heavy. And then there's going to be a lot of fighting, a lot of question marks after those first five guys go off the board. So interesting about the fact that there's five of them is with the new playoff structure, there's only 10 non-playoff teams. Now, I believe, if I understand how they're doing it right, there will be 14 teams in the lottery that those two teams that don't make the after the play-in game will still go into the could possibly go in the lottery if I understand it correctly, but I'm not sure I understand it totally correctly. So what gets really interesting as we sit here right now, there's only one team in the Western Conference that's more than two games out of or excuse me three games out of the tenth spot. In the Eastern Conference right now, there's only one team that's more than two three games out or two teams that are more than three games out. So Cleveland, Detroit, and Minnesota are the only teams right now that 30 games into the season or so are more than three games out of a playoff spot. So there's some really interesting aspects of like trying to make the run, see if you get to 10th to get in the play-in game while 50% of the teams in all likelihood that don't make the playoffs could get a franchise-changing player. Yeah, that's, that is really interesting and 
this is I'm starting to put together my first mock draft of the year, and and normally by now we know you know who those teams are going to be, uh, with maybe one or two exceptions. This this time of the year, you know, All Star break time, and it's so much more wide open than that. Uh, right now, and there could there could be massive shifts. And uh, I've been using uh, ESPN's uh, BPI playoff odds estimate, uh, which does a bunch of analytics to try to project what those wins are going to be and what it's going to look like. And 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 that tool seems to be a little bit more confident than, than I am watching watching the season right now. And so I've been kind of using that to sort of project what those odds are going to be. Yeah, and the last piece on that before we dig into one other piece, and then we'll break down these five guys is. What's the franchises that are in this little kind of mix between eight and 13, so many of them are desperate to make the playoffs. New Orleans, Sacramento, both, I think, need to make the playoffs. Dallas needs to make the playoffs. Charlotte, they need to make the playoffs. Atlanta, Orlando, Washington probably need to make the playoffs for the well-being of their franchises. And so in a draft that if, if five guys are really this, if you believe in this, that is begging for the tank, you have new lottery system where the tank is not as beneficial it once was and a new playoff system, which is really forcing teams to keep going after it because if Charlotte can get to a playing game, that's a successful season. Right. And there, there's really just one team that is 100% incentivized to tank, and that's Minnesota, because if they don't get a top three pick, that pick goes to Golden State as part of that D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins deal. And so they've got, just given the current odds right now, they've got about a 40% chance of keeping their draft pick, or this pick goes to Golden State in a deal that I think many people now looking back on it think that Golden State won anyway. Uh, that Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell, Golden State won that deal anyway, and now uh, they're getting they're getting potentially this pick from Minnesota as well, and that's going to be the the one team especially to to really watch. Uh, and they've just made a coaching change and other things that are out there. But if they don't fall in the top three, and that could just purely be by the luck of the odds in the draft lottery, Golden State gets this pick. I watched them. Never mind. No che- no cheap shots on guys that just got fired. That's not fair. Back one quick question. Uh, tier one players, Zion and John Morant or just Zion? I know you weren't doing the draft as much then. I'm assuming you probably talked to some people. Do you think like we, Ja, we didn't have Ja as a franchise changing player or do you think some people did? Uh, I think that, I think that he would have been a borderline tier one, tier two, just in talking to people. I did not put my draft tiers together that year. Zion was a clear tier one. I think jaw depended on who you talk to about where they saw him. Some tier one, some tier two. Retrospectively 2017, the Fultz, Lonzo, Tatum, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox draft. Were there tier one players in that draft? Yeah. Tier one was Lonzo ball and Markel Fultz. Okay. That was it. Uh, and tier two is De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac, Josh Jackson, Laurie Markinen, Malik Monk, Frank Tilakina, Dennis Smith, and Jason Tatum. And so, you know, you can see this is still off, right? This is not an exact science uh, because Jason Tatum should have been in tier one. Uh, you know, it's so hard with Markel Fultz because based off of everything that you saw in college, he deserved to be a tier one player. I mean, what happened to him in his career was one of the weirder things that I've seen in the draft. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, I think that, that, you know, you look and, and overall, 
you know, if you're talking about tier one guys, uh, I, I can see I have them listed here in the column. They were Blake Griffin, John Wall, Anthony Davis, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, um, Jabari Parker, and then it went, uh, you know, Lonzo Barr, Mocha, Mar- Markel Fultz. Interesting. By the way, I'll just point out that in that draft, the 13th pick of the draft leads the uh, minutes played in that draft. I just thought I'd mention the two-time All-Star Donovan Mitchell. Who, who was a tier three, who was ranked as a tier three, which is an NBA starter. And so here he was under, under-ranked. I mean, he's clearly an NBA starter, but he's an All-Star now. Yeah, but NBA starter was even a little bit of a push for, in some people's mind on him. So, I mean, yeah, right. We didn't, no one, no one knew Donovan was going to be this. I mean, maybe Dennis Lindsay did in the sense he told everyone not to say anything at that workout, but it still seems a bit surprising that he's become this. He's, he's just so special. All right, Chad Ford, NBA Big Board. I'm David Locke filling in just, well, really just kind of hanging out with Chad because I like to do that. I used to do it every year, and now we're going to do it. We're going to talk about those five guys, who they are, uh, and, and what they bring to the table. Coming up here in just one second, Locked On Today is the new daily podcast that gives you everything you need to know in the sports world in 20 minutes or less so check it out on whatever podcast provider you're using search locked on today and join peter bukowski and many voices the locked on podcast network it's brought to you by the radio.com as well as the locked on podcast network i want to talk about our new sponsor rockauto.com it's a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years and if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Let's start the list of five. I'm going to assume that Cade Cunningham, the point guard out of Oklahoma State who hopefully gets some tournament time. And is he really a legit 6'8 is my first question on Cade Cunningham. I don't think so. I think 6'7 is is what most scouts believe that he is. But he's a 6'7 point guard. And, and you know, that is the, you know, that is the appeal for someone with his size and his length, his ability to see the floor, to orchestrate an offense. 
the super incredibly high basketball IQ, the unflappable nature of his game under duress. It, nothing, nothing seems to really bother him to, to speed him up or slow him down. Cade Cunningham comes into this game and he plays his own pace. And now look, not every scout loves that. I'm about him. Some people want to see more fire from him. Some people feel like at times his game's a little lackadaisical. There is one really concerning stat about Cade Cunningham. Despite the fact that we talk about him as this great passer, he averages more turnovers per game than assists. He's got four. He's averaging four turnovers a game, which is really, really high for a tier one player with only 3.6 assists a game. But part of it and this is one of the things that becomes a little bit challenging, is that he's not playing around any other NBA draft prospects at Oklahoma State. He's it, and then it's a pretty big drop-off after that. And so every night, team's game, play, game plan for Cade Cunningham in ways that you typically can't with a Duke or a Kentucky or this year like a Gonzaga, uh, where they have many, many weapons around them. And so that's that, that's been one interesting thing is how well Cade Cunningham has played when you look at his supporting cast and, and the fact that, you know, Oklahoma State is, has, has played really well, uh, given, given what they have. What is it that is most appealing about Cade Cunningham? It's, it's that he plays the, the most coveted position in the NBA right now, which is that, that big wing right that can that can run an offense at 67 with his wingspan which you know some people say is is a is a 7 is a 7 foot wingspan you're talking about a guy who can defend multiple positions, who can initiate an offense. Uh, he is one of the most complete players you're going to see in the draft. He's shooting 43% from three uh, this season. He gets steals, he gets blocks, he defends, uh, and and then the super high basketball IQ. He's a dominant dominant player that way. And when you look at the NBA right now, that is the most coveted position. If there's a position that that NBA teams are salivating for. It's Cade Cunningham. That's why he's he's number one on my board. He's still number one on my board. You can make an argument that some of these other guys have higher ceiling, have have more talent, but no one fits the modern NBA game better than Cade Cunningham and what NBA teams are looking for. You know what Cade Cunningham makes me wonder is how tall you're going to have to be to play in this league. Like Mike Conley in his 13th year, is solid player six one like if Mike Conley came out today at six one, would you be scared to take him? Oh yeah, and and there's uh, there's at least one player, Sharif Cooper, who's you know six foot. Who there's a big internal debate around NBA teams because he's an incredibly talented basketball player. Where he goes, whether you can even take him in the lottery, just based purely on his size. And you know this is a really interesting development, David, because you know I started a lot of my career. Uh, scouting overseas as well. I, I did a lot of the early overseas scouting for good and for bad, you know, Darko Milicic for bad, uh, but, you know, a lot of other players for good. And one of the things that you noticed over there in the early 2000s was how big their playmakers were, how they were taking young players at an early age and, and teaching them how to run the basketball team. And and be point guard. You'd have seven footers out there that were handling the ball and bringing it up the floor. And that and there weren't a lot of guys like that in the NBA. There was you know you know there's the Magic Johnsons of the world, of course, that that were able to do that. But it wasn't a normal thing. And it's just becoming more and more of a trend, more of a normal thing here in the U.S. And I think every year you're seeing this more. These players that are six six, six seven, six eight, six nine 
who really have point guard skills. It's not just they can play a little bit point. They can be full-time uh, running a team, and and Kate Cunningham's just a great example of that. I mean, I just finished watching. We're recording this Tuesday night. I ref- just finished watching an incredible Dallas-Boston game. Like, Kemba was so small. But, uh, Dallas didn't start anybody under 6'5". Like, they started Luka and Josh Richardson and... Josh Jackson and Finney Smith and Powell, they weren't, like, big per se. Like, they didn't have three seven-footers. Like, people are missing the, the the game's getting big and long at in kind of inverse ways, right? Everyone talks about how small everybody is now. No one's small. They're just skilled, which gets us to Evan Mobley, who's really interesting because he's actually a center, if I understand this correctly. And what is a center today? So what is your thought on Evan Mobley? Is Evan Mobley one of your five? that everyone's talking about 19 year old seven footers at USC. And what is your, what is your feeling on him? Absolutely. One of the five, probably the guy that might have the best case to be the number one pick uh, over Cade Cunningham right now. He's number two on my board reminds me of a young Chris Bosch. There's so much about Chris Bosch to his game with one exception. He's an elite rim protector, which Chris Bosch wasn't. Uh, in the NBA. And so he's adding a wrinkle here. Yes, he's the seven-footer who's versatile, who can step out. One of the things that is just really phenomenal about Evan Mobley's game is his ability to get the ball at the top of the key and take his man off the dribble uh, and and penetrate and get to the basket uh, and make the dish or make the finish at the basket. You don't see a lot of seven-footers who do that. But then on the other end, uh, he he has been really a just an absolute terrific uh, shot blocker. He's averaging three blocks a game uh, at USC right now. He's he's skinny, and and he's going to have to get stronger. And when you see Evan Mobley struggle like he did a little bit uh, the other night against Oregon, it's when they have more physical interior players that are going to push him around a little bit. But he's so skilled offensively, and he has such a good feel for the game defensively. He's the modern NBA big. Uh, now and whether he's a a four or a five at the next level, I, I I just don't think people care. But the fact that he has the those offensive abilities and he can protect the rim, there's not a lot of guys that are going to come along every day and be able to do both of those things and do them well. Chad Ford, NBA Big Board. We'll give you the other guys coming up here. The other three of the five is it's kind of our little intro to the draft, and maybe we'll dig in a little deeper as we return as well. Hollinger and Duncan come to you once a week here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Former GM John Hollinger with NBA podcaster Nate Duncan. It's a unique NBA show that if you're a fan, you've got to grab. So if it's on radio.com or whatever podcast app you're listening to right now, make sure you subscribe and follow Hollinger and Duncan. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot 
about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. One of the most interesting developments in this draft will be the impact of the G League and the G League Ignite. And there's two of those guys are in the five. But before we get there, let's get to a guy who we probably are going to get to see a lot of in March, hopefully at least, for the Zags, the number one team in the country, Jalen Suggs, the point guard. What's, uh, is he in, your, in the five? And what is the take on Suggs so far this season? Absolutely in the five. And if he was four inches taller, probably would be the number one pick in the draft. I mean, you talk about, again, a complete player. Uh, The athleticism, the toughness, was a high school quarterback as well. Plays the game like a quarterback. And definitely, of this group, the best defender, uh, averaging a couple of steals a game. And, And just as a really live wire. I think one of the things that we really like about Suggs is just his ability uh, to impact the game on both ends of the floor. Uh, Offensively, he's been good, and you might look at his numbers and say, well, he's averaging like 14 points a game. But when you look at all the weapons that are on Gonzaga right now, uh, he's he's been a facilitator. He has four and a half assists a game. He's got five and a half rebounds a game, a couple of steals a game, shooting 35% from three. Uh, he, he just does it all. He makes this team hum. This is, by the way, one of the best college basketball teams I've seen in a really long time. And, and if you're going to question him, I think you question him on, well, if he was on Oklahoma State, would he be able to do this? And what if you put Cade Cunningham on Gonzaga, right, where he had all these other weapons around him? Like, what would what would change? I think that's that's... Great. I think there's there's truth to that. The game would get a lot easier for Cade Cunningham if he was playing on Gonzaga, especially given the talent that's on the floor. But I also think you would see a more dominant Jalen Suggs if he had to carry his basketball team every night. He does not need to do that for Gonzaga, but he is absolutely capable of carrying a team. Uh, I love him. He's just an electric player. Uh, does so many things well. Another really high character, high basketball IQ type of player. A little bit older. He'll be he'll be basically 20 uh, on draft night, going to be really close uh, to, to 20 years old on draft night. So a little bit older, but uh, to me, the most impactful player right now of this group, the guy that's going in right now and changing the the course of a game uh, with his play. And I, I think he'll be able to step right in the NBA and play right away because he's got the physical strength, uh, I think, to do that right now. My, uh, it's interesting, I always, I always tag those players throughout the year that are uh, played a year older, right? So that we're actually a year older than all of their competition. He gets tagged that way. I always get nervous about those guys. The only other one I would jump out, and I haven't looked at all these other guys' numbers. I happened to look at him because I was looking at Gonzaga. So he goes 7 of 10 from 3 against Iowa. He goes 2 of 4 the next night against Northwestern State. 
Since then, he's shooting 26% from three over the last 15 games. Any concern there? That, that was the knock on him coming in. Uh, I think there was two things that t- people questioned. What was his three-point shot? And, and two, was he really a point guard or was he an undersized two uh, at 6'4"? I think that those will remain somewhat questions because, as you point out, uh, right, he starts shooting really hot. Uh, he's cooled off uh, quite a bit. I mean, he's had a couple of good shooting nights against San Diego, uh, you know, for example, uh, or, you know, against BYU the other night uh, on February 8th when he had a really big game for them. And, and you know, part of it, again, you look at the attempts. He also isn't taking a ton of attempts uh, because uh, there's another guy that's going to show up at our lot- lottery, Corey Kispert, who is one of the best three-point shooters in college basketball, if not the best three-point shooter in college basketball, that he's constantly working to get open and take those shots. All right, we've got two guys that are in the G League Ignite. They've played about eight games, so it's really early to see, but they're obviously you know, going to be looked at because of what they did in college. If you go back to the, the high school rankings on many of these kids in that 2020 class, Jalen Green was generally thought of as the number two recruiting of the recruiting services, the number two player in the draft. Tell me a little bit about Jalen Green, and I'm assuming he stays in on the, fi- on the top five. Yeah, absolutely. And he got off to a little bit slower start in the G League, which got a lot of Kaminga buzz. But he's actually been the guy that I think has has played better uh, of late. And he's your classic scorer. I mean, if you want to talk about who the best scorer in this draft is going to be, uh, it's Jalen Green. He is built uh, to get buckets in the NBA. He's got elite athleticism. But he's got some other stuff to his game. Uh, he, he can pass the ball a little bit. Um, I think he's a little bit more aware. I think there's some comparisons with him and Anthony Edwards, but they see his basketball uh, IQ uh, being a little bit further along uh, than Anthony Edwards was, less, a little less prone to make mistakes. Uh, and you know the thing that you're buying when you're buying Jalen Green is that he is an elite, elite athlete who is wired to go out there and look for his buckets. He's got he's to learn how to play defense. Uh, he's he's got to learn how to uh, really diversify his game, though I, I've actually see, seen him make some really terrific passes in the G League that surprised me based off of the scouting report sort of coming out of high school, where I think he's maybe a little bit more aware than, than I thought he was uh, coming into the G League. But I, I will also say this. He's averaging you know 17, 17 points a game, but for NBA scouts, watching these G League players play against college veterans and guys that have played in the NBA and some guys that are literally a decade older than them, they feel like this level of competition in the G League bubble is higher than any sort of college basketball competition that you're seeing. And so doing 17 points against this level of competition is more impressive than doing 17 points a game in the ACC or the Pac-12. And, and so that's you know another thing that, that when you're hearing NBA teams and scouts watch these guys, they're playing against men every night. And, and the way that they're playing against men, because some people can look and say, okay, they're making some mistakes and you know I see some immaturity there. The level of competition matters. And I, I think this G League idea is going to be brilliant. I think it's going to catch on. I think it's going to launch Green and Kaminga. And I think you're going to see more players do this. And teams are totally fine with it because I think they feel like they have a better handle on those guys than they do the college guys right now. When you uh, let's we'll talk about Kaminga in a second. But when you when you talk about this with for Green and you think about the fact that R.J. Hampton did this last year and Lamelo Ball did this, but they did it going to Australia. 
what what's your guess that the top ten players don't go to college here pretty soon? What's your how how long are we away from? I mean, there's no joke. Kid Cunningham's going to Oklahoma State, and and you know, unless the colleges are going to continue to pay, you know, as Sean Miller has at Arizona, the going rates on an FBI investigation, then I. You know, I can't imagine why anyone would go to college. I've never understood it, frankly. I, I, this is not a new take on my part. If people have listened to me over the years, I've always said that uh, laughable at five foot eight and not very athletic. Um, that if I had a kid that was an NBA caliber top twenty pick, he would never go to college for a day. I just would never do it. Um, I'd either hire an agent and have him work out for a year, or I would have him go overseas. And so, so what's your guess that we're three, four years away from the top ten, fifteen, twenty players not going to college? What's your guess? Well, as a college professor, <laughs> I think there's benefits for these young men to go to college. I, I really do. Uh, and wait, wait a sec, Chad. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. But like, they're not actually going to college. I I think that that's true for some of them, and, and but not for others. I, I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of these young men uh, who uh, really, really have a lot to say about their college education and their college experience. I mean, I've I've been doing the draft for a long time and have got the chance to, to talk with a lot of lot of them. And while I think that's certainly true for some, some prospects, I, I think that for a lot of them, the college experience has been something that's been meaningful to them. And I think that, you know, one of the ways to think about college is that it's, it's developing a lot of other things uh, and not just, you know, your, your mind, but um, socially and a lot of other things that are really different if you go to the G League and you're just practicing basketball every day. And, and now look, you know, there's a split in the NBA about which you would rather have. Would you rather have uh, a young man who can be in the gym uh, and just work on his game and be learning NBA sets all the time and, and get rid of any sort of bad habits and play against NBA-ish type level competition every night? There's a lot of teams and scouts that say, absolutely, that's what I want to see. But there are some general managers and scouts out there that say, no, I want to see how they how they grow and how they develop in, in, in the college setting. I want to see how they're able to handle life and balance all of these other things uh, that are going to come up in life and how they're developing uh, as, as young men, uh, not just what they do as basketball players. And for them, I think college still holds some some appeal. And so, you know, to me, uh, I think that no one path is the right path for everybody. And and I think that I, what I like about the G League is that it's giving players options uh, depending on what, you know, they want to do with their life, uh, what their financial needs might be, because obviously they're making money in the G League and they can take some endorsements and do some other things that they, they can't do in college basketball. But but for others, I absolutely think that college basketball can still be the right way to go. And, and I will say until the G League really takes off as a marketing platform, uh, you know, uh, if, if Zion Williamson had been at in the G League Ignite instead of Duke, he wouldn't have been where he was as a as a as a marketing phenomenon, in my opinion, um, because there's still some cachet uh, to playing in college basketball, and you're still getting primetime uh, television slots uh, for fans. So, part of building your brand, if that's part of what it is that 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 you want to do as a young player, then I also think that that's another reason for college. But but to your point, I think that this experiment is going to open the floodgates, and we're going to see a significant a group of of young players take this route, but I don't think it's going to kill college basketball. I think that there will still be really great players that are going to come out of the college scene. It's interesting. I'm not uh, great argument, and we can discuss a great 
you know, claim uh, positioning on your part. I, I think it's got a great value. Uh, I, I would just point out the last thing. I actually am not sure that I think having 10 players or 15 players that we're going to go one and done, leave college basketball, would actually be bad for college basketball. Oh, it, it could be good, right? Uh, John Calipari might love it uh, because you can actually start building basketball teams again, uh, right? And, and Mike Krzyzewski and what have you. Um, so absolutely, I think that's good. But I also just think that, look, uh, the, our, high schools, our high school rankings, just like our college and NBA rankings, aren't always right, uh, right? And so some of these guys are going to go to the G League and they're going to fail there. And some are going to succeed. And every year we have, you know, some players that are in college and a couple of years of development have turned them into really good prospects. They're, they're not the obvious one and done. And, and, and I think that's going to be the route um, for some players. And we're going to find talent out of both. All right, let's get to the last and final one of the five. Uh, from the way you're talking about it, I'm assuming it's uh, Kaminga, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, who is out of the uh, Congo um and has gone uh, did play in uh, high school and i think like multiple places like west virginia that that huntington prep and new york so he didn't come straight from congo to the g league ignite but that is where he is right now um six foot eight small forward you know not a lot of questions about this kid as well what are you seeing about him and and where do you see him as a franchise changing player one of the youngest, if not the youngest players in this draft, he reclassified and was really a mystery player in part, not because he wasn't well known in his class, but because he kept moving around, because he reclassified, didn't really spend his senior year, um, if you will, in high school, that was the biggest blank slate. People knew about the sort of athletic abilities and at his size at 6'8", 210, that he was a great athlete, but there was a lot of question marks about what else they were going to be able to see um, from his game. And, and I think for the most part, people have been pleasantly surpri- surprised. Um, I think the athleticism we knew, his ability to defend multiple positions was something that was going to be very appealing to teams and and clearly looks to be the case early on for him. I think the thing that has been the most surprising about him uh, is his ability to see the floor and some of his passing that he's made. Uh, he's had a feel for the game that I'd that I didn't hear NBA scouts talk about before the G League actually started um, and his ability to facilitate a little bit. On the downside, it's only eight games. It's a small sample size. He's shooting 22% from three. Uh, That was a question mark, obviously, coming um, into his career. He's shooting 65% from the free throw line. That's also not great and usually a a little bit better indicator of what's going to happen when he gets to the NBA. And so shot is the question mark. But for the teams that like like really, really like him and are exciting about him, they see some like Kawhi Leonard-esque type game to his game. And he certainly is in the discussion uh, for the number one pick. I, I think that what he did in those first few games in the G League put him in that conversation. He's cooled off a little bit since. And, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this ultimately plays out down the road between these five guys. But you're talking about five players that have comps that could be, you know, multi-year NBA all-stars, if not franchise players. And and could they fail? Yeah, absolutely. And that happens every year, even with guys that we rank in tier one. But that's the what's get really excited about in the draft. And then, you know, number six, David, uh, you can talk to 10 scouts and they'll give you 10 different names about who that guy is. And they'll almost all put in the caveat I'm not sure that's my guy at six. Uh, and I just think that that's because there's just a pretty big gap between the next cohort of players. 
Is there a player that you've seen you're intrigued by or a list of players that you'd mention or as we wrap this up, maybe players that we're going that you think the conference or NCAA tournament are particularly important for? Well, if I'm a betting man, and I, and this is just based off of years of experience, there's not a consensus at all around teams about this. I would watch Greg Brown out of Texas because he's the best athlete in this draft. Uh, he he absolutely jumps out of the gym. He he's playing out of position at Texas. They they're playing him on the wing when he's really more of a four. Uh, but the fact that he's picking up some wing skills and you watch him one game and you think, how is this guy? This guy's years away from the NBA. Then you watch him the next game and you're like, the wow. And and it just sort of reminds me of Patrick Williams and what happened with him. And, you know, he was the guy that came off the bench at Florida State. And, you know, where's he really going to go? But once that first tier was sort of off the board, David, the Bulls opted for the guy that they thought had the most upside, even if they didn't think Patrick Williams was ready to come in right away and contribute. And if I'm looking at just a profile of a player um, out there that sort of fits that profile, Greg Brown's that that guy to me. He's also a really hardworking young man, and and uh, coaches sort of rave about him, and, and so he's intriguing. But then you know, there's Scotty Barnes, there's Jalen Johnson, who's one of the most polarizing players um, in the draft, who decided to leave Duke uh, and just focus on his draft uh, career mid-season or towards the end of the season uh, and uh, is controversial that way. Some teams hated that. Some teams think he made made a smart decision. And we're also just going to see a ton of young players and guys like Zaire Williams, uh, what Williams out of Stanford, for example, um, are and Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky, you know, just the entire Kentucky team, the BJ Boston, they're really intriguing to me because they're clearly, clearly, clearly not ready. But there's enough to their upside that teams may not care and just take them anyway because there isn't a good argument to take you know, someone with low upside ahead of them. Interesting, Chad. I feel prepped. I feel like I know more than I did before we started this conversation, so I appreciate it. And now you can have your show back and do it as you wish with Tony Jones, John Hollinger, and all your other friends. Yep, going to have John Hollinger next week. Uh, going to do uh, some more take on the G League and stuff like that. And then Tony is going to come in and we're going to do our, our first lottery mock draft. Uh, on the show. So we got some great shows coming up. Chad Ford, NBA Big Board. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast Locked On Today. 